0: Welcome to the Radical Audacity Podcast. I'm Tiffany Kane, your host. On this podcast, you are going to meet people that walk their own path, live life on their own terms, let go of other people's rules and expectations and the shoulds in life, and instead live life in their own truth, integrity, and authenticity. This podcast will give you the inspiration you need to live your own radically audacious life. Enjoy the episode. Hello, beautiful listener. Welcome to the Radical Audacity podcast. This is Tiffany Kane, the Heck Yes Coach, your host. And I'm here today to ask you a question. What would it be like to not have a drink, to not have that glass of wine or that glass of whiskey? What would it be like? Drinking is one of those few things that we have to explain why we are not doing it. We go out into a social situation. Everybody's having a cocktail. And you say, oh, no, not me. Not today. I'm going to have a soda. I'm going to have a lemonade. And they say, oh, what is it? What's going on? Are you pregnant? Are you sick? What's happening? Why aren't you drinking? And it kind of blows my mind. And I have to say, I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. I also will question people, ooh, what's happening? Why aren't you drinking? And it's an interesting, interesting thing in our society where we view drinking as so normal that not drinking is abnormal. And we imagine that a life without alcohol must not be as delicious, not as tasty. I mean, who wants a steak without a glass of red wine, right? And yet, for many of us, many of us, we have tons of stories of how alcohol has actually hurt us, damaged our life, whether it's waking up the next morning with a hangover, going to a meeting not at our best because we were sick the night before, um, not showing up for our kids the way we want to show up for our kids, all kinds of stories, some small stories, some large painful stories of how alcohol has damaged our life. My guest today, Kay Allison, has a radical view on what life can look like without alcohol. She calls it juicy AF, which I think is amazing because, you know, juicy as frick, right? Or juicy alcohol free. And she has such a beautiful way of approaching the subject, of experimenting with the idea of what would it be like to be alcohol-free. Now, Kay comes to us with a background that is quite illustrious. She was the senior vice president at a global ad agency. She was also a single mom. And her drinking escalated to a point where she one day decided, I need to be alcohol-free. And once she made that switch, she was able to increase her income by six times. Yes, 6X her income. She met her dream man, who she is still married to and crazy about 21 years later. She's helped Fortune 200 companies, not Fortune 500, Fortune 200 companies generate $2 billion in new revenue. She's adopted a child, written two books, invented four successful businesses, traveled around the world, and currently lives in her dream home. Wow. She's an executive coach, a healer, and a clairvoyant. She lives in a pine forest in Colorado and meditates by a waterfall every morning. Yeah, that's a juicy AF life, right? I mean, amazing. I think you're going to really get a lot out of today's conversation. So let's get into it. Let's meet Kay. Hello, wonderful listeners, as you heard in the introduction, I am here today with Kay Allison. She lives a juicy AF life, and we're going to learn all about what that AF means. It's pretty cool. It doesn't quite mean what you think it means, and I can't wait to dive right into the conversation, Kay. I want to set up the picture a little bit so that the people listening can kind of get a visual of you. Kay has a gorgeous smile from ear to ear that is just big and beautiful. She wears these fantastic red glasses and has this, you just have a sassy haircut. I do, don't short I? Short <laughs> and sassy. And you just, this energy that comes off you says, I am confident, I am fun, I am here, and I absolutely love it. I'm so excited to have you today today. And I just, I wanted to set that up. So as people are listening to you talk, they get that image in their head of how fantastic oh, you Oh
1: gosh, look. <laughs> you made my day. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Yay. All right. So let's dive in to this juicy AF because it is so fun. I always like hearing a little bit of the backstory and you have a really interesting backstory to getting to this juicy AF life. Will you fill us in a little bit on the story? Oh, backstory? I would so love to.
1: When I was new into being alcohol-free, I walked into a recovery meeting one day, and there was a woman at the front of the room, and she was gorgeous, well-dressed, well-groomed, articulate, had it all together, and she was telling her story. And out of her mouth come these words. It was 3 a.m. in my living room, and I was there with my husband, my boyfriend, and the police, and I thought this was perfectly normal, and she threw back this glorious mane of curls and laughed, and I felt in my body this wave of shock, Hmm. because at the time... I was buried under layers of shame and remorse and anxiety and regret and embarrassment and hiding all wallpapered over with a sign that said, nothing to see here, pass right on by. (laughs) Mm. And what she represented to me was a sense of sparkling aliveness and freedom freedom not only from alcohol, but freedom from the shame and the hiding. And that's why I started Mm. Juicy AF, which does mean what you think it means, but it also means (laughs) alcohol-free. I really am hopeful that the way I show up and what I'm creating and putting out into the world is that beacon of hope And optimism Mm -hmm. and joy and sparkling aliveness for the women who are right now caught in their habit or their cycle of drinking and not really Mm -hmm. thinking that a life without that habit is going to be very good.
0: Mm, Okay. Can we step back even just a little bit more? Because you talked about all of these layers. The layers of shame and just, you just mentioned layer after layer and then you said, but on the outside I was wearing a sign that said, nothing to see here, just move on by. Oh, that was so beautiful. The image I got in my head when you said that was so vivid and I could I could see that woman. I think all of us can see that woman because we've been that woman on some level. Where did all of those layers of shame and everything come from? Well, I don't
1: think I was born with them. I think I made up all kinds of stories when I was a little person to make sense Mm -hmm. out of my experiences and to try to understand who I was and what my place was Mm -hmm. in my family. I was born into a family of four, my mom and dad were a couple. My two sisters were a couple, and they were all very academic and quiet. And my house, I my joke is that our house was fifty shades of beige. <laughs> <laughs> and I you don't are think not. I own anything beige. You are colorful, no, very colorful. colorful. Yeah, <laughs> and I clearly didn't fit. I was into music and art and dance and acting, and then my scientists family did not understand me. Plus, I was supposed to have been a boy. So existentially, I have felt like I was wrong, kind of from the get go. And I think that that's true for a lot of women. And especially for a lot of women who get into that negative cycle of drinking, that we think that Mm -hmm. we're not good enough, not blank enough, not thin enough, pretty enough, rich enough, old enough, young enough, fat enough, thin enough. Like, or the twin sister, I'm way the heck too much and I need to tone mm-hmm. it down. There's no comfortable wiggle room between those two stories. And that's what ran me There's for a not. lot of years.
0: Mm. And so did you then take comfort in drinking on some level? Was that something like a, was it a part of your identity? Was it a comfort? Was it a an escape? Where did drinking fit into that? Well, as all I said, that?
1: I grew up in this beige quiet house and drinking to me represented color and magic and endless mm-hmm. possibilities. I mean, you never knew what was going to mm-hmm. happen once I started. <laughs> and That is why I am insisting on having a colorful, magical life full of possibilities as an alcohol-free woman, because if I can't access that in my real life, I'm going to access it in drinking, because I accessed it when I was drinking.
0: Oh, that's so fascinating. There are so many reasons why people drink. Um, There's a huge culture right now, the, the, the mom drinking Mommy culture, wine right? Culture. Like mm-hmm, Yes, mm-hmm. yes. There it's there's memes everywhere. Yeah. And drinking is one of those things, it's pretty much the only um drug habit. We have to apologize for not yes. doing, right? <laughs> Wait, why are you not drinking? Please explain to me why you're not having a drink tonight. Um, it is so ingrained in our culture that we drink, that this is what we do. Uh, I am I'm just love to dive into with you, how do you approach that culture of drinking's what we do? Why wouldn't you drink? How does that fit into your juicy well, life? Well, I think that mommy wine culture
1: basically tells us that we have to drug ourselves in order to raise kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the same as yeah. what 1950s housewives believed with mommy's little helper, which was Valium. And they used Valium because their lives were empty. We use alcohol because our lives are overwhelming. Here's where it gets insidious. Mm. When we are drained of our energy and our sparkle and our creativity, either because we're buzzed or we're a little hungover, We cannot advocate for the kinds of changes and societal supports that we need. The reason why we're overwhelmed as working mothers is because no human being could possibly do what we're expected to do, especially during the pandemic. And in a way, mommy wine culture is complicit with the patriarchy in keeping us down because we are not our best selves. When we are either buzzed
0: or hungover. Oh my goodness, Kay! I am so glad you said that because I think we need to think about this. Now, I, I have, I, I'm not a non-drinker. I've never been a big drinker. Um, I have the way my body metabolizes alcohol is literally two drinks. If I hit my third, I'm in bed. So I've never gotten. Drunk, 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 because my body just goes, Oh, it's time to go to sleep now. You're out. (laughs) So, like, drinking a lot has never been fun for me. I I think I've been protected on some level. However, um, I do know that when I'm in a phase where there, where coming home and having a drink every night is the thing, I'm I'm a terrible mom because I'm just tired it like makes all of the tired all of the exhaustion it actually relaxes me a little too much to the point where i'm just like all right kids like do your thing like get ready for bed that kind of thing hits really hard and i know when i was going through my divorce that one of the things i did was i said i am not drinking i just lost my best friend to breast cancer i said i'm not i'm done i'm not drinking anymore And it drove my ex-husband crazy. He wanted to make me drinks every night. He loved making me cocktails. And I realized it was a form of control because quiet, tired, complicit Tiffany is much easier to handle than awake, alive, energetic, passionate Tiffany. That is
1: exactly my point. That is a microcosm of the macro issue here, which is we are much more compliant. We don't show up. We're not as loud. We're not as in our space. And to your point about relaxing you, here's a newsflash. Drinking regularly, as few as seven drinks a week, actually increases anxiety. (sighs) drinking increases anxiety. I'm going to I said it again because it's one drink a day. One, one drink, drink a, day. a day. Or even if you have 3 drinks on Wednesday mm-hmm. and 4 on Friday, it doesn't really make any difference. Mhm. And that's regular sized drinks. That's five and a half glasses and a bottle of wine. Not the way I drank it, mm-hmm. which was not five and a half drinks. <laughs>
0: I hear you on that one.
1: <laughs> it actually long term and not even doesn't even take that long to build it up. It actually makes us more anxious. The biology of it is mm-hmm. that our bodies adjust and we start to anticipate that alcohol is gonna be coming online. And so because we don't want that depressant and relaxant to slow our heartbeat down to the point where it forgets to beat, our baseline ratchets up to be more anxious, anticipating the the alcohol that's going to be coming in. So if you have a problem with anxiety, you can experiment with cutting out the drinking for a couple of weeks to see what happens. What typically happens is mm. it goes up, you get more aware of it, mm-hmm. and then it eventually reestablishes
0: a normal baseline. This is fascinating. I know a lot about alcohol. I worked in the wine industry for many, many years, actually at wineries. I did not know that. And that makes so much sense. It's a drug. It's a drug. It's a drug. And our body gets used to this drug and adjusts to it. That's fascinating. I feel like I want to sit with that for a second and really think about how this applies to the listener's life, the person listening. Do you happen to have a story of either yourself or somebody you work with? where they became very aware of how alcohol was increasing their anxiety and what happened after they took it out? Well,
1: it's I was in this insidious cycle. From a biological standpoint, what's, what happens is, like I said, I got more anxious. <clears throat> the other thing that happens mm-hmm. is our neural pathways get rewired so that we're more impulsive even when we're not drinking So I Mm. would say the flip comment to a client or a boss or, you know, whoever, and then do that mental, oh my God, I cannot believe I just said that thing, replaying it 90,000 times in my head. So I was anxious. I was impulsive doing things I regretted, which was the edge that I needed that first glass of wine Mm -hmm. to take off. But here's the issue another neural circuit that gets rewired is the habit circuit. And so Mm -hmm. if I've Mm -hmm. used wine as a way to numb that edge a number of times, all of a sudden it's my habit and it is wired in my brain. And so it became surprisingly difficult (laughs) for me to stop. I mean, I had left a bad marriage. I had lost weight. I was a senior vice president of a global ad agency. I was raising two kids single-handedly, and I couldn't stop drinking. The habit was so ingrained, mm. and I was so unaware of how ingrained it was that it really was, I was gobsmacked that <laughs> I couldn't stop once I decided I wanted to.
0: Wow. I truly believe that people listening can identify with that. They can feel that. They can um they've lived some part of that story that then not being able to stop with it. What finally made you go to that first meeting where you saw that vibrant woman? <laughs> the distance between how
1: I think thought of myself and what I was actually doing became a chasm that could no longer be wallpapered over. Um, being a great mm. mom has always been essential to my self-esteem. And I really didn't drink to excess in front of my kids. And then there was this one night where I was hosting a party at my house that I couldn't afford, by the way, could not afford. Mm -hmm. And because it was important to me, I decided at 6 o'clock, oh, I'm Mm going to drink Diet Coke tonight. No alcohol. And wouldn't you know it, that darn waiter came around one too many times with a a bottle of champagne (laughs) offering me a glass. Mm -hmm. And about 10.30, I thought, oh, I believe this little lie. Oh, one isn't going to hurt. And my older kids, who were then 9 and 15, had to undress me and put me into my bed. And I was done. The switch flipped. And I was willing to do whatever it took to not be that mom to my kids.
0: Thank you for telling us that. You know, we can't recover
1: quietly if it means that other women can't see themselves in my recovery. If you can see yourself in what I'm talking about in the way that I drank and the way that I felt, I also want to embody to you that manifesting your ideal life is possible
0: for you too.
1: Mm.
0: You, you don't have to be caught in that spiral. Oh my goodness. Okay. Now we're getting into the good juicy part of this <laughs> conversation. I I love the I love when we're able to h- get rid of the shoulds, get rid of the shame, get rid of um all of those layers that you talked about earlier, all of those things that often bury us, make us put on a mask, and get us caught up in things like overdrinking and all of that. So let's Take off the shame mantle. Like what are some of the the layers, the shame layers, the these layers that we get to to get rid of to live that juicy life?
1: I'm gonna answer this just a teeny bit differently. What I didn't realize, what shocked me, was how much energy pretending that everything was okay was draining Mm -hmm. out of me. And here's what happened after I gave up alcohol. I increased my income by a multiple of six, a multiple of six. And I had been a senior vice president of a global ad agency. Number two, I met and married a guy that I'm still insanely crazy about 22 years later. (laughs) We adopted a child. I wrote two books, traveled around the world I live in my dream town. In fact, I'm actually watching wild turkeys walk past my window while we're talking. (laughs) And I really live my dream life. I think it's because all that energy that I was expending to spin a hologram of, look at how impressive I am out in front of me, got repurposed and it just catapulted my life into 10 dimensions higher in every single area of my life. I think I had no idea how much energy that was draining from me.
0: I feel like I could talk to you or listen to you talk forever because you create gorgeous images as you're talking Mm -hmm. that really help to bring... This idea home, like help it to hit the core, the hologram, and the energy it takes to put that everything's okay. Hologram, life is fine, it's fine, I'm fine. Hologram, and it does, it takes a ton of energy. When I was unhappy, what allowed married, you to get rid of that?
1: Oh, let me first tell you one story. When I was yeah. unhappily married to my first husband, um, we had best couple friends, and I thought that they were happier. They were just pretending harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought everybody was pretending, and uh, God, it's just exhausting. So what helped me get there? Number one, seeing women like the one I was talking about talk mm-hmm. truthfully about the thing they had been burying underneath all that shame, just to be able to (laughs) matter-of-factly say it. Oh, my gosh. You know, that in itself is so liberating. That's why when I got alcohol-free and what I've created with the Juicy AF program is a combination of connection. So if I hadn't seen her do that it never would have occurred to me that that was even possible. So that connection with other women that are walking through that circle of fear and women who have already walked beyond it is super important. And the second is to create a roadmap of what an alcohol-free life can look like, how to get to manifest your perfect life, your ideal life. And with 12 step programs, there's obviously 12 steps. With GCAF, there are 10 experiments that I invite people to come in and play with and learn from. And one of them is substituting a spiritual principle for an old story. So my old story was I had to pretend. And the prescription for that, the spiritual prescription for that is rigorous honesty.
0: Oh. What is the situation you would have pretended and what is the rigorous honesty experiment now? <laughs> well, I
1: think even in this conversation, I would have pretended that I had it all together. Like, Mm -hmm. I've got all the answers. And I can tell you that I still deal with self-doubt and insecurity and fear. And the reason that I say that is because I get so much
0: relief from saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. And we connect so much to each other. On those levels. I had
1: this misperception that in order to be loved, I had to impress you. And Uh, (laughs) now what I... The good girl.
0: The good girl. Good girl syndrome. To be loved, to be accepted. Yes, we have to be the good girls. And what I've discovered is when I get vulnerable, you get
1: vulnerable. And then our hearts really do connect and the light that lives within each one of us shines out through those broken places. You know, I think it's Leonard Cohen that said, our broken places is where the light gets in. And I always thought that was a weird image. To me, it's where our light, our innate light shines
0: out. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. I love this idea of the the vulnerability well, let me let me dial back what i really love is this playful curious experimental attitude that you have i think a lot of times when we are trying to change a habit we come at it with a lot of rules a lot of expectations and there is so much shame around not having control of the habit. Even something as simple as creating an exercise habit or a healthy eating habit or a getting to bed on time habit or, you know what I mean? Oh, gosh. Like, drinking enough so water. Whatever, yeah. Drinking enough water. There's so many things that every day is like, you should be doing all of these things. And in trying to create those habits, we create a lot of rules around them. And in creating those rules comes a lot of stress and anxiety and self-judgment. Right, just oh, I there we go. I had French fries for lunch today. Every I'm terrible. I can't. I'm not in control of my body and my weight. And we create so many stories around these rules. Yet, if we can be curious and experiment, well, what happens mm-hmm. if? Okay, I had French fries at lunch, but what happens if I decide? Well, <laughs> dinner is. I'm going to just love that grilled chicken and and the roasted broccoli. It's going to be absolutely delicious. And I'm going to enjoy all of those nutrients that are flowing through my body that I know are coming from this healthy food. And what happens if I just reframe the way I'm talking about my food? You know what I mean? And we can do that with alcohol. We can do that with whatever habit we're trying. It's that experimental, Mm -hmm. curious mindset that I feel like smashes shame. Just Gets rid of it. That's Goodbye. the
1: intent. Goodbye. I was a professional musician in the very first phase of my career. I played the cello professionally. I majored in cello in college.
0: Yeah, oh super goodness. practical.
1: I love this. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, okay,
0: are you? Is it che- I, Cello's the one you you're, said you're a pretty petite woman. Oh, yes. I'm not petite. You're a pretty no, petite I'm woman. Not so. petite. I'm No, five, no. Eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because the image I have of you just from the pictures is that you're petite, like, wow, the cello is big. Okay. So you're 5'8". You're definitely, I'm little, I'm 5'3". So, (laughs) you know, I live in a square. Professional Um, cellist.
1: So I was a professional cellist and I really had to learn how to practice. So- I'm sure everybody who's taken piano lessons remembers you start at the beginning of the piece and you get to the hard part and you mess up and you start again at the beginning of the piece. I did that for years until I learned that the place where I mess up was like a a knot in the chain of a necklace and that you have to gently pull it apart. And so part of the Juicy AF program is I teach people how to practice practice. So for instance, if we're practicing mm-hmm. this week, honesty, since we've been talking about honesty, how do you breathe when you're honest? And if you can't access that, how do you breathe when, breathe when you're dishonest? I can get that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Do the opposite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we have a physicality dimension What's the posture of honesty? Oh, I'm not really sure. What's the posture of dishonesty? Oh, I know that one. Great, do the opposite and just play with it for a day and learn from your own experience, right? So I, I, there is a whole, one of the experiments is let's learn how to practice and see what you learn from your own experience rather than relying on any dogma that I might create.
0: hmm That is so good. That's, I'm trying to find the exact words I want to use with this idea of practice, the the imagery of taking that chain, the, the knot in the chain, and pulling it and practicing and identifying, just being so aware and so present and identifying this is what is happening in my body when I take this action, when I do this thing. I also found as a musician that getting off
1: track is actually part of the practice. And that Mm. gently learning how to bring ourselves back to what we've set out to do with the new habit is the key to having a practice I've had a meditation practice for 30 years, which is crazy to me. (laughs) But um, what they ask you to do is to gently bring your attention back to your breath when you're thinking about your to-do list or whatever, because that is exactly what is supposed to happen and does happen to all of us when we start meditating. Mm -hmm. And that gently, 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 gently not punitive, not harsh, not judgmental, not yanking, gently, gently bring your attention back. And I also find that making something as minuscule as you possibly can, like I wanna start meditating. I say to the women I work with, great, 30 seconds. I want you to start with 30 seconds. You are not allowed to do any more than 30 seconds. Because it's more important to get the consistency going than it Mm -hmm. is to spend an hour in full lotus with the candles going.
0: The way I live my life is so like go big or go home <laughs> on so many levels that I torment myself. I absolutely torment myself. I mean, I listen to this, you saying, oh, 30 seconds, meditate for 30 seconds. So I'm like, I, don't, I can do better than that. But I know my brain, I know my mind, and I know I have a very hard time meditating. It is guided meditation or sound bath meditation I do great with. But if I'm just sitting with me, myself, my thoughts... I know I have a hard time. And so I know that practice would be really powerful for me. And yet, that overambitious piece of me is like 30 seconds, I'm gonna show her, I'm gonna be her star student. (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with 30 minutes. See, there you go, Kay. I do the same thing. (laughs) But it's so harmful. It's so harmful to have that attitude, to have that mind, because that's not how changes are you know, they're uh, changes small. What
1: I've learned in manifesting this juicy, alcohol-free life is actually more unfolds for me in better ways when I'm not driving quite so hard, which is mm-hmm. such an oxymoron. It makes no rational sense because I was driven. I had to be the youngest mm-hmm. vice president and I had to, I mean, that's, that's my MO. Mm-hmm. You tell me I'm not good enough, yep. just watch. And what I've realized from practicing these spiritual principles as my prescription to my old stories is that when I rely on flow and get into flow, magical things unfold that I never could have even imagined.
0: Yes. Yes. Magic unfolds. When we are so driven for the doing and the achieving, it's almost like we're living on somebody else's rules, somebody else's, this is what you should do. This is the next goal you should strive for. You should be the youngest this. You should do that, or you can't do that. So, okay, well, I'm going to show you. But it's always, or very often, somebody else's image of what our life should or shouldn't be that we are almost battling right? Like it's almost like swords drawn, armor on, <laughs> sweat dripping. We are going to live this freaking life, right? And when we strip all of that away and we go, but wait, what do I want?
1: The magic here. I Here's want. the magic. We've all created our, our realities. All this talk about manifesting, mm-hmm. where you are right now, you have manifested through choices, mm-hmm. through behaviors, through decisions, through you know who you decide to be around. Where you are right now, you have manifested. And if you don't like it, the great news is you know how to create something. You've already created that. You can take the same thing and create something that's going to fit better for you. It's not that you don't know how to manifest. It's that Learning how to do it consciously, you might be able to create something that fits better for you.
0: Mm. <laughs> that is so good. We can do it. it's it's we've already done it, and we can do it. I love this. What is an activity? We're on manifestation, so let's hang out here okay. for a second. What's it, what is it? What is an activity for somebody? Because I know there are people listening that are going, okay, fine, manifest. She said, I manifested this life I have right now. Okay. But how do I manifest the life I actually want? Do you have one of your experiments, one of your activities, mm-hmm. one of your things that you do with people yeah. to kind of help them play with this idea of manifesting what you actually I, want?
1: I absolutely do. And it's called creating your ideal future self. And so what I ask people to do is to daydream about their Mm. ideal future self. And you don't have to put any time on it. It could be by the end of your life or experiences you want to have. It could be, I'm going to pick an object that represents my ideal future self or a picture And then if it is an object or a picture or a list of places or experiences you want to go, ask yourself why those things are important to you. What I want Mm. to get down to is when you wake up in the morning, what or who do you see? Is it the Eiffel Tower? Is it the Nile River? Is it a horse? Is it a hunky guy or a really hot girl? Like, what do you see in the morning? What's your hair look like? What kind of food do you eat? What kinds of conversations are you in? And what values or principles do you live by in accordance with? Those are kind of my questions. And Mm. what I would invite your listeners to do is to daydream about that, journal about it, pick up objects, create a little collection of all the ideas that occur to you for a week or two weeks. And at the end of that period, go through and look for the common threads. I would ask you to also think about what kinds of problems you're drawn to and what kinds of people you have the most empathy for. Because it was Frederick Buchner who said, our vocation or our calling in this world is where our greatest gift meets the world's deepest hunger. And so if we only think about our greatest gift, we're only thinking about half the equation. So what set of problems are you drawn to either on a micro, you know, girlfriend or family or kid or animal issue, or on a macro level in the world, what outrages you to the point where you know you are being called to do something about it?
0: This is powerful advice and it's advice that brings us truly back to ourselves, truly 100% back to ourselves and creating what we want for ourselves, not what anybody else wants for us, but we sit with ourselves. I'd love that you have people work over a period of time on that as well. Because often what we think we picture for ourselves on one day may not be what we picture the next day based on circumstances and emotions and challenges and things that happen. And so if we look over a longer period of time and we find those threads over a longer period of time, then we're really creating that full picture of what we care about, what we dream about, what we Mm -hmm. want. And we are so in a society that's about right now, pleasure right now, The the whatever your pain you're experiencing right now, relief from that pain right now, mm-hmm. just such a consumer right now, right now, right now, society that if we can practice that longer term, who is my tomorrow self and what does she want? What does she care about? It goes hand in hand with one of
1: the first experiments that I invite women in my program to do, which is to take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and in the left-hand column, make a list of all the things that drinking gives you. Gives you. Because mm. we, we wouldn't keep doing it if we didn't get something from it. And then on the mm-hmm. other side, to make a list of everything that it costs you. And then I asked the question, "What do you know about Notice about the time frames of what it gives you versus what it costs you. And what I noticed when I did this was what it gave me was very short-lived. I felt pretty, I mm-hmm. felt sexy, I felt funny, I could be outrageous. But longer term, I was doing things I didn't feel great about. I had anxiety. I had a lot of remorse and shame. I had to do a lot of pretending. I put myself at risk. You know, there's a time element
0: there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. You're welcome. I feel like this conversation today, um, I came into the conversation excited. I knew it would be good. And I knew you'd talk about some some really interesting things that are are important, this being true to who you are. And there are many people that alcohol is is hurting them. It is hurting their life and their quality and, and they need help. And I love the way you do your work. So I knew coming into this conversation that I would enjoy it. I feel like I'm coming out of this conversation with a a new experiment, a new some new things that I want to try. Just going out there, uh, like I said before, alcohol has never been a massive problem in my life, but I do know that I often, I enjoy, I enjoy a good whiskey, I enjoy a good glass of wine. I know it enhances, but I think I'm going to be a little more curious about is this actually enhancing the experience the way. I imagine it's enhancing the experience, especially for the next morning, right? like especially if if my goal is to get up and and exercise in the morning and those uh that glass of whiskey that I had the night before made me not sleep mm. so good and and then i'm I'm waking up kind of groggy, like, hmm, is that actually what I want I, I I think I'm leaving this conversation curious about all of that. So thank you. That really means so
1: much to me. I mean, the word alcoholic doesn't help anybody. I mean, I was never diagnosed no. with any kind of alcohol use disorder. And what I'm trying to make accessible to women like you and, you know, women that are maybe drinking a bottle of wine over the course of a week is... Mm-hmm. You can experiment with being alcohol-free. It's an invitation to come Mm -hmm. and play and get curious and see what happens. Because if it isn't better AF, double entendre intended, (laughs) why bother?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I have a feeling. Well, I know the. I know, I know because I've I've gone multiple times in my life where I have said I have been AF and I lost weight and I had more energy and felt more in control, yeah, right? Like real, like real in control. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm good. I've got this. So, yeah, you're so welcome. Beautiful conversation. I love this conversation. I. Me too. I feel really, really good and excited and um, curious. So I, I love this, and I hope the people listening, I hope you listening, are hearing the beautiful, non-judgmental. I love that you're not using the word alcoholic. I love that you're not using the word disease. I love that you're just saying, "What, what would it look like to not to go a week or two or four, like?" What would it look like? Um, with that in mind, is there any, before we switch over into kind of the the fun, getting to know you a little bit of a different way, is there anything else you would like to say to the people listening?
1: Well, I would love to invite all of you to come participate in my 21-day alcohol-free experiment, um, mm. juicyaf.life forward slash 21 the numbers two, one, and I'm offering it for half off right now. It's 21 days where you'll create new habits to replace the drinking habit and get really clear about your ideal future self. And we'll start talking about the guide to get there. It's only
0: 21 21 days. days. That's fun. That's it cool. <laughs> I love it. All right. Let's switch over Great. into getting to know you a, a little bit better on a different level. We are big, giant book nerds over here in the radical audacity world. And when I say we, I really mean me. <laughs> so I always love knowing what people are reading. What book are you reading right now? Oh, I have a stack of 12. I read like you do. <laughs> I,
1: love I it. probably read three or four books <laughs> a week like I read. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So the one that's making the biggest difference to me is a book that I've actually been reading and rereading on a on a cycle for probably 3 years. It's called The Way of Mastery and it's teachings from mm-hmm. Jesus. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's a trilogy and um oh. Let's see, the first one, I'm not, I don't remember the first one's called, the second one's called The Way of Transformation, and the third one's called The Way of Knowing. And what I love about it is the orientation is around allowing divine energy to flow through us rather than seeking something outside of us. And Mm -hmm. just that shift of considering how to be in touch with whatever you call it, chi, Mm -hmm. energy, the universe, that it's not something outside of us. It's not a cloud man where we have to go and beseech. We have to go and beseech Mm -hmm. and maybe have grace bestowed upon us that it's more of an opening then a driven kind of search has been has permeated my my way of being. Anyway, I I really really I love it. It's similar to a course yeah. in miracles, but it's less mm-hmm.
0: dense and hard to navigate on your own. That's really beautiful. I'll have to check that out. I love that concept. I was raised in a super intense patriarchal religion with massive rules. And you <laughs> too, okay. So we've got that in common. Um, And divinity, it was absolutely outside of you, right? Like you had to pray for it and you had to pray for it. Like even the way we prayed was very prescriptive of you say a prayer and then you say, through Jesus Christ's name, amen. Like I couldn't even say the prayer directly to God. I had to go through somebody else. Um, And women could not pray out loud on their own, they had to pray, have a man pray for them, like totally searching for God outside yourself, right? I love the idea that divinity moves through us, that we are divinity, that we are this light. I'll have to check that book out. That sounds beautiful. It's so dense.
1: I mean, I'll read a paragraph and think, I've never seen this before. I've probably read it four times.
0: (laughs) It's like looking at a work of art. Every time you look at it, you see a different Mm. message based on where you're at. I think books are the Mm -hmm. same way. They're so fun to read over and over again because you get something different out of it. Well,
1: and I will tell you, the best novel that I've read recently is called The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. Her breakthrough book here in the States was Hamnet. And her latest book is also fabulous. It's taken me on a... Maggie O'Farrell, deep dive. (laughs) And uh, man, she is quite the the writer. So if you are also into fiction, Maggie O'Farrell's your gal right now. I love fiction. Oh my God, she's great.
0: I love fiction. I do too. I feel like we learn a lot of lessons from fiction because we're able to get into people's stories and have the empathy and the connection and see ourselves in the characters. And I feel like a lot of the lessons get solidified easier. Like I read, um, I, I read um, the Martha Beck's The Way of Integrity. Martha Beck's The Way of Integrity. And it was such a good book and so deep, and we did it in a book club. And then I read Matthew Haig's The Midnight oh, Library. Oh, I love that book. And it was like, oh, all of the lessons in The Way of Integrity were applied. You could see it in somebody's life, and how when they're not in integrity, what happens, and when they are in integrity, what happens. And it was like, okay, okay, okay. Now I, I really get it. And reading them back to back was like perfect. It was. I just was on oh, fire. That's magical. So anyway, I digress. Yes, we
1: could. Ta- I could. We could do a whole news or po- podcast on
0: books on books. Books. Yeah. And I, I love combining the nonfiction with the fiction. I. Long story short, I think we learn a lot from both, and combining them together is gorgeous. Okay. Yes, we could talk about this forever. Let's move on Mm. to, they're making the movie of your life, and you get to pick three songs. What would your three songs be?
1: Well, they all have a theme. You are the sunshine of my life. Here comes the Mm. sun. And I'm blanking on what my third one was, but it was another one with sun in it. So there's a theme there. (laughs) I mean, my husband's
0: nickname for me is Sunshine. So Mm. I love that. That's so sweet. That's my there's a sign in my kitchen that says hello, sunshine. Mm. And that's yeah. It's like my favorite greeting. Hello, sunshine. Makes
1: me happy every time he calls me. We are sunshine.
0: That's so beautiful. I love it. It's just a positive. It's such a positive way to go through the world as the light yes right be the light it's beautiful all right last question and i don't want this conversation to end but we're coming to the end so last question it's all about radical audacity and we know the radically audacious life is the one where you are living in your personal integrity your authenticity what is right for you even if it's not right for everybody else And it's often a little bit hard. So what is your act of radical audacity you've done recently? I'm really glad you said heck yes to. Well, being on this podcast is part
1: of it. Alcoholics Anonymous, Mm -hmm. we are supposed to be anonymous. And Mm -hmm. so for me, speaking out about being alcohol-free and being very out about my story was very scary. I mean, I've been sober for 23 years. The people that hired my company. So the first company I created, we helped fortune 200 companies invent their next hundred million dollar platforms. So I was hired by like the CEO of Kraft Foods and like all of these very senior level people. They had no idea that I had had an alcohol problem. And so now mm-hmm. I'm out. I am very out. I'm very public about saying I'm now alcohol free. And it's my truth. And the reason why I'm not mm-hmm. anonymous number one, I'm not identifying myself as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous publicly. But the reason that I'm not anonymous is I have seen too many people die and. I have yeah. seen so many people who decide to experiment with going alcohol free and they come in and their skin is ashen and their eyes are cloudy and 30 days later that pilot light behind their eyes has come burst back onto life life and there is nothing more meaningful to me than witnessing that and that's why mm-hmm. I am being radically audacious and speaking my truth on a public
0: platform. And thank you for doing that. Because I know for a fact you are helping so many people. Anytime we can take the veil of shame away from something that is so very human, so very human to experiment with different things in our life and find what works and what doesn't work for us. And sometimes we have control over things in our life and sometimes we don't. It may be food, it might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be love addiction, it might be sex addiction. I mean, there's so many things that so many of us experience in our life that we hold onto shame. When in reality, there's so many of us that experience it. And if we can just connect and say, but that's not shameful. That's just a part of your human experience. How beautiful would the yeah. world be if none of us had shame? It's so beautiful. We'd all be so yeah, connected.
1: That's very true, and be able to yeah, help. Very true.
0: The way you're helping, Thank you.
1: which is wonderful. Well, I hope that I've at least planted a few seeds in a few people's minds.
0: I'm pretty sure you've planted gardens <laughs> in a lot of minds, and I'm—I I know you have in mind. And um, I like—I came into the conversation excited to hear what you had to say, but not really thinking it would change anything for me. But I'm leaving, going okay. I think I'm gonna—I'm gonna play with this I and love just see, that. like, yeah, like. You don't ha- And you don't have to have an alcohol no. problem to be able to say, well, what would it look like to go 21 days and just not have a drink? What would happen? What would it be like? I think that's fun. It's a fun experiment to it. try. So <laughs> this has been great. Okay. You mentioned before how they can find your program. How can they find you? As I know people are going to want to reach out to you. Um,
1: best place is Instagram at join underscore juicy AF or
0: TikTok juicy AF. Love it. Thank you, Kay. You have been an absolutely beautiful guest on the podcast. Keep shining your sunshine. Keep shining your light. Uh, Thank you for showing up so beautifully and vibrantly and joyfully in the world and smashing shame. We love it. Um, Thank
1: you. Thanks for the opportunity. This was a great conversation.
0: I got so much more out of this conversation than I anticipated. And Kay is somebody that I followed on Instagram for a while, and I've checked out her website, and I'm familiar with her work, and I have really enjoyed her for a while. You all know when I bring somebody on this podcast, it's because I'm inspired by them in some way. So I knew today's conversation would be good. What I didn't know is... Power that I would get out of it, and the different way I would look at my life, and the way I approach drinking, eating, exercising like, even all of my goals like, this really got me thinking about, huh, how can I approach things a little bit differently? Drinking's never been a huge problem for me. I my body doesn't do well with alcohol anyway, so the idea of getting drunk has never been a fun experience for me, a fun concept. I pretty much um, have a drink or two and I'm done. If I hit a third drink, I'm, I'm asleep. I'm out. I'm not a fun drunk. So it's, it's never been a way of life that is enjoyable for me. But I do enjoy a glass of whiskey. Whiskey, yes, I love whiskey. I enjoy a glass of wine. Absolutely. I love a cocktail. Absolutely. I enjoy those things. So I came into this podcast episode thinking it's going to be a fun conversation with Kay, but it doesn't really apply to me so much. And I am leaving this conversation completely transformed thinking, ah, a lot of this does apply to me. I love how she said this mommy wine culture is a trope that feeds into the patriarchy. Now, you all know how much I love talking about the patriarchy. This is not anti-men. I love men. Patriarchy hurts men as much as it hurts women. Patriarchy is all about controlling women. The mommy's little helper of the 50s was when women were (laughs) bored and stuck at home. And now this mommy alcohol culture is we are overwhelmed and overworked and juggling too much. And this come home and have three or four glasses of wine at night just to function creates women that are not working at our best ability. And that's good for the patriarchy when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we have a hard time getting up in the morning, when we just don't have the energy to work on that project that we wanted to work on after the kids went to bed because we've had too much to drink. That's good for the patriarchy. It's not good for women. And I thought that was really interesting how Kay brought that out very interesting. I feel like I want to dig into that with her more. She and I sat and talked after the interview for a little while, and I'm like, oh my God, I wish we could do a whole episode on this idea of the correlation between alcohol and patriarchy. Don't worry, I'll bring her on Instagram live so we could talk about that more. Um, She also talked about how alcohol raises anxiety. Oh my God, that was so fascinating. I've never heard that mentioned before. The correlation of alcohol and anxiety and how it changes the chemistry in your brain and then you live on this constant anxiety hamster wheel. And I know for somebody like me that has a lot of anxiety anyway, this is a really important thing to consider. An important thing to think about is that you know, glass of whiskey at night to take the edge off actually making the edge worse it's really interesting. And I loved her playful, creative, curious, experimental look at living life alcohol-free. And I feel like that curious, experimental mindset can be applied whether you want to try going alcohol-free for a certain amount of time, you want to be curious and playful about changing eating habits and exercise patterns and sleep patterns and all of those things that we know will give us a healthier, better life that we often have such a hard time implementing as habits. Well, what if instead of looking at them in such a rigorous way where we feel shame when we can't keep up with You have to eat this certain way. You have to not drink. You have to exercise daily. What if we were curious about it? We experimented and we said, well, let's try it for this amount of time. What happens? What changes for me? What improves? What gets better? What gets worse? How does this affect my life? Doing this habit, practicing this habit for a certain amount of time. I thought that was really, really powerful. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope it made you think just a little bit differently. And if it did, please reach out and let me know. I absolutely love it when you reach out to me. I don't know, Instagram DM, it's a great way to reach out to me. But when you DM me or you email me and you say, Tiffany, this episode made me think I took notes furiously. I shared this episode with a friend. When you do those kinds of things, it really feels good. So I encourage you to do that. Reach out to me. Share this episode with a friend. Remember to press the subscribe button if you haven't already on your podcast player or the follow button. And um, that way you get every episode when it's released. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you live your most amazing life. And I hope this episode has helped you to do that. And whatever you do, remember to raise the volume of your voice. I'm listening.